1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll discuss more uh, Supreme Court decisions made in the last term. Also, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us. Uh, We'll be talking about current uh, global events, it is August the 16th, and on this day in 1896, while salmon fishing near the Klondike River in Canada's Yukon Territory, George Carmack reportedly spotted nuggets of gold in a creek bed. His lucky discovery sparked the last great gold rush in the American West, hoping to cash in on the reported gold strikes in Alaska. Carmack had traveled there from California in 1881. After running to a dead end, he headed north into the isolated Yukon Territory just across the Canadian border. In 1896, another prospector, Robert Henderson, told Carmack of finding gold in a tributary of the Klondike River. Carmack headed to the region with two Native American companions known as Skookum Jim and Tagish Charlie. On August sixteenth, while camping near Rabbit Creek, Carmack reportedly spotted a nugget of gold jutting out from the creek bank. His two companions later agreed that Skookum Jim, Carmack's brother-in-law, actually made the discovery. Regardless of who spotted the gold first, the three men soon found the rock near the creek bed was thick with gold deposits. They state their claim and the following day, news of the gold strike spread fast across Canada and the United States and over the next two years as as many as 50,000 would-be miners arrived in the region. Rabbit Creek was renamed Bonanza and even more gold was discovered in another Klondike tributary dubbed El Dorado. Klondike Fever reached its height in the United States in mid-July 1897 when two steamships arrived in the Klondike and the Yukon in San Francisco and Seattle, bringing a total of more than two tons of gold. Thousands of eager young men uh, bought elaborate Yukon outfits, kicks assembled uh, by clever marketers uh, containing food, clothing, tools, and other necessary equipment, and set on their way north. Few of these would find their way looking for what they're looking for. Most of the land in the region had already been claimed. One of the unsuccessful gold seekers was 21-year-old Jack London, whose short stories, uh, based on his Klondike experience, became his first book, The Son of the Wolf, uh, who Will We Forget the Call of the Wild? That was a great book by uh, Jack London. His first part, Carmack, became rich off his discovery, leaving the Yukon with $1 million worth of gold. Many individual gold miners in Klondike eventually sold their stakes to mining companies who had the resources and machinery to access more gold. Large-scale gold mining in the Yukon Terra didn't end until 1966, and by that time, the region had yielded some $250 million in gold. Today, some... 200 small gold mines still operate in the region. Big discovery, the last great discovery of gold in the West. <clears throat> Speaking of gold, stocks fell on uh, yesterday. They featured good and bad news for Wall Street. The good news was the U.S. retail sales showed consumers shopped a lot more than expected last month. Another check mark on the economy's uh, bill of health. But uh, that strong retail sales report raised concerns that interest rates could remain elevated for longer, and Fitch Ratings also warned that it might have to downgrade dozens of banks, including J.P. Morgan. Well, President Donald Trump on Tuesday vowed that he would publish a report detailing election fraud in Georgia next week, saying that the evidence would vindicate him and Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's election case. Willis on Monday indicted Trump and 18 of his political allies in connection with Trump efforts to challenge the 2020 election results in the Peach State. Trump had maintained he was the legitimate victor of the contest and insists President Joe Biden carried the state due to election fraud. Faced with his uh, his fourth indictment, uh, Trump vowed to prove his case next week by publishing his evidence. A large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the president election fraud will soon uh, take, uh, which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at the major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Benminster, uh, New Jersey, posted on True Social. Based on the results of this conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others, and there will be a complete exoneration. They never went out uh, after those rigged elections. They only went after those who fought to fight the riggers. Trump was unable to successfully challenge the results in Georgia, though his upcoming report may be an effort to win public opinion as much as defend himself legally. I hope it doesn't hurt his defense by spilling the beans on Monday, but I understand what he's doing. The former president has also uh, repeatedly denied any wrongdoing, contends that Willis's case is part of a broader political witch hunt designed to stop his return to the White House in 2024 in the election. certainly is that. Meanwhile, in Congress, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said uh, during a Monday news conference uh, with the House Republicans that they should uh, pass the spending bills to counter Senate Democrats. We're walking into a battle to save the country. We're going to be at a disadvantage, especially if we don't get all of our work done, McCarthy told House Republicans. Excuse me, House Republicans aim to pass their respective spending bills to exert pressure on Senate Democrats to negotiate a further spending package that could pass through both chambers of Congress and that President Joe Biden could sign. House Republicans uh, hope to cut spending by more than a 100 billion dollars while many Senators uh, want to increase defense spending. The California Conservative said he opposes a year-long stopgap spending bill, or a continuing resolution as that would lock in place Democrats' policy provisions. He did, however, tease that he expects a short-term CR could pass to fund the government through early December. Doing it in early December makes a good deal of sense, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Tuesday. McCarthy said, I don't expect a short-term CR will be needed to finish all the work that we set out to do, but I don't want the Senate to jam us against the holidays. I do not want to do a CR, a continuing resolution that jams us up against Christmas or the holidays, not going to do that not going to play that game, he added. However, one Republican, uh, Tony Gonzalez, warned that a, a government shutdown could come soon. It's clear President Biden and Speaker McCarthy wanted a government shutdown, so that's what Congress will do uh, after we set uh, return in September. Everyone should be planning accordingly. Now, I don't know about you, but any time the government is shut down, I did have one convenience, one time I was uh, going to... Uh, one website published by the government that uh, wasn't available during the shutdown. Other than that, things (laughs) were fine. It just didn't make any difference that the government was shut down. I realize some people want to go to parks and all kinds of things that might have uh, more benefit to them than than what I would enjoy through government services. But quite frankly, the whole notion of uh, keeping only people who are critical in government, I just get rid of the rest of them, is my view. Anyhow, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said Tuesday the House and the Senate will pass a short-term government spending bill and separate that will last until early December. So he's in agreement with McCarthy. The deal, known as a continuing resolution, would come amid a standoff which the House conservatives are pushing to cut federal spending below levels President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to in their debt ceiling deal. Schumer uh, said he spoke with McCarthy at the end of July about government funding for uh, fiscal 2024, given the current appropriations expire on September the 30th. He said, I thought it'd be a good thing that he recognized that we need a CR in September, Schumer said on the press call on Tuesday. I'm supportive of that. <clears throat> and as you've seen, again, the Senate Appropriations have worked in a bipartisan way to report all 12 bills out. Every one of them has nearly unanimity, but bipartisan uh, but bipartisan work. And a CR until early December provides uh, time for consideration of these bipartisan bills, he said. So... Again, Schumer is pushing the whole idea of a, a, a short-term CR. I guess that's okay. Uh, but again, uh, if the government shuts down, I mean, I think that's good leverage for uh, conservative Republicans who want to cut spending. And uh, we'll see how this all turns out. But it's, it's always uh, last minute, isn't it? Well, Air Force veteran attorney general Greg Hash has announced he, he's entry into the race for New York's third congressional district, where he intends to challenge incumbent Representative George Santos in the upcoming primary. Now, this is good news. Santos is a crook and a liar, but he's a Republican. In the statement shared across his campaign social media platforms on Tuesday, hash—that's uh, spelled H-A-C-H—I guess it's hack or hash—outlined uh, his campaign's mission to restore integrity to the congressional office. He emphasized the need for principled and conservative leadership that can effectively tackle the challenges faced by the district and confront for the political landscape in Washington. So I wish him all the best. Certainly we don't want Santos going back to Congress and polluting what is already a pretty swampy place up there in Washington, D.C. Well, the United States has seen a record increase in homeless people this year as the COVID-19 pandemic fades. And this is according to the Wall Street Journal. The uh, Journal reviewed available data from more than 300 entities that count homeless people in areas ranging from cities to entire states. These entities accounted for eight of every nine homeless people counted last year. The data so far this year is up roughly, get this, 11% from 2022, a sharp jump that would represent by far the biggest recorded increase since the government started tracking uh, comparable numbers in 2007. The next highest increase was 2.7%. That was in 2019, excluding the artificially high increase last year caused by the pandemic uh, counting interruptions. So uh, homelessness on the grow, another indication that things just aren't working for the American people. Again, he reported yesterday that uh, most families are seeing uh, a cut of $7,200 per year available uh, for, for consumption <clears throat> because of uh, Bidenomics. <clears throat> well, a member of the White House Press Corps has filed a lawsuit against the White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, and the Secret Service allegedly wrongfully revoked his press, press badge in a suit filed Thursday, African journalist Simon Atiba, this guy is a good guy, I saw him interviewed by uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, he argued that the White House policy for revoking press access violates the First and Fifth Amendments of the Constitution. Uh, President Biden's White House announced new rules in May that, for the first time, allow for rescinding a press badge. Defendants violated Mr. Antiba's First Amendment rights by changing the criteria for hard pass credentials to intentionally prevent Mr. Antiba from obtaining a hard press access, the lawsuit reads. Good for him. I hope he wins. And I'm glad that he's challenging. Uh, Apparently some 400 press passes are being revoked as a result of this move or this policy. And by the way, President Joe Biden's administration is planning to spend $1.2 billion dollars in order to vacuum carbon dioxide out of the air. The United States Secretary of Energy, Jennifer Granholm, announced Friday that her agency would be funding two projects to deploy technology known as direct air capture. Granholm described the project as giant vacuums that can suck decades-old carbon pollution straight out of the sky. Man, did she get sold a bridge. Is this unbelievable or what? Uh, You know, here's an idea. If you want to get rid of carbon dioxide... Plant about a trillion trees or a billion trees around the world uh, for all the trees that have been cut down. That will absorb all the carbon dioxide and create more oxygen in the air. Let's count on photosynthesis to solve the problem, not these stupid ideas. Spending 1.2 trillion billion, somebody's really good at marketing, and they sold (laughs) the Brooklyn Bridge uh, to the administration. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples Magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. at lulubies.com and stop by Lulubies Diner, open from 8am until 2pm, 7 days a week Lulubies Diner, in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads, stop by Lulubies Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time Forty-five,
0: forty-one. Welcome back to the Bob Hartman Show, and now here's your host, Bob Hartman.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here in the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty. Personal Responsibility, Limited Government, and the Rule of Law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Great to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
3: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to... Defending free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web.
1: Thank you, Bob. So uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about, oh, actually seven highlight cases from the last Supreme Court term. And uh, we're going to pick up on student loan forgiveness, uh, uh, Biden's student loan forgiveness. Can you give us a little background on that?
3: Yeah, this was called Biden versus Nebraska, and it challenged his uh, executive order back in April of 2022 that partially canceled payment obligations on about 92% of all these student loans. Debts up to $10,000 uh, would be canceled for folks earning up to $125,000 a year or joint filers earning up to a quarter of a million a year, not exactly peanuts. Yeah. Um, and that, by the way, excluded only the top 5% of households. So it covered 95% of all the households. Any thoughts that this is a a, a welfare program is <clears throat> it's not such for poor people. A lot of folks with a lot of money are getting help by this would have been.
1: Well, it's, the, a, uh, it's buying votes is what it's all
3: about. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And the folks that were on Pell grants, they could even get more up to 20,000. So the estimates were that this would cost about 400 billion dollars. Uh, to taxpayers it would have helped as i indicated a lot of folks but but some of them uh, high income it would have harmed mostly non-college graduates that's about two-thirds of all the taxpayers who earn on average about one and a quarter million less uh, over their lifetimes than if you have a bachelor's degree yeah and of course the impact on tuitions would be as they have been over the years they would go up because plainly it's not just the students that are benefiting, it's the, it's the colleges. So that's the policy uh, debate, but of course there were also the legal issues.
1: So did Biden have authority to bypass Congress?
3: Yeah, that's the key legal issue, and he claimed authority from the HEROES Act, which was passed after 9-11 to help uh, members of the military. So the act says that the Department of Education could waive or modify student loan provisions in connection with a national emergency, but only for borrowers who were, were affected by uh, the, the emergency. That, that raises three, I think, pretty obvious legal challenges. First, did the term waive or modify allow cancellation? Mm-hmm. Second, was COVID still a national emergency? And Biden himself said it wasn't. And third. Is it conceivable that more than 90 percent of all these student borrowers were actually affected by uh, the so-called emergency? And you may remember last year, the court affirmed what's now called the major question doctrine, and it states that Congress can't delegate sweeping authority to an executive department or an agency like the Department of Education unless Congress issues a, a clear statement uh, to that effect, and the HEROES Act I think by any uh, rational assessment, uh, was not a clear statement. And, of course, the question at $400 billion was definitely a major uh, question.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. Well, thank God that uh, Congress did that. So uh, wasn't there an issue regarding uh, who had standing to challenge the loan cancellations?
3: Yeah, there was this one big hurdle uh, for those of us who wanted this program to die, uh, the standing hurdle. Standing... Uh, I think we've talked about in the past, it requires first that a plaintiff be uniquely harmed by a challenge program. Uh, So it's not enough to say you don't like your tax dollars used this way. Uh, That's not a unique harm that's common to all taxpayers. And also the second requirement is that if you block the program, that would fix the problem. Uh, So the, the appellate court said that Missouri, one of six states that sued, had standing because one of its state agencies, Uh, would no longer be able to collect fees on the loans that it serviced. But there was some question whether Missouri uh, could file suit on behalf of this independent state agency. And interestingly, the agency itself said it would not sue. So that was the standing question.
1: So how did the court rule, and what's the end result of all this?
3: Roberts wrote the opinion uh, of 6-3 ideologically divided And he held first that Missouri did have standing. Uh, The agency, he said, was an instrumentality of the state, and the revenue it lost uh, because of these canceled loans was necessarily a direct injury to Missouri itself. And then on the substantive issues, he held that the Heroes Act did not authorize these loan cancellations. Uh, The word modify means to change moderately or in some minor fashion and not to cancel the loan altogether. And then Roberts agreed that the major question doctrine required a clear statement uh, that Congress intended to uh, confer authority. Uh, Kagan and the other two liberals, so did my Warren Jackson, they dissented, and they wrote that Missouri should not have been able to sue on the behalf of this agency. And even if Missouri could sue, uh, they said the court's interpretation of the words waive or modify was stilted and formalistic and that biden did have the power that he claimed
1: bob it's it's so confusing to me it's so egregious uh, and uh, uh overreach on the part of the president of the united states to do this don't the american people doesn't congress don't why don't they have standing
3: yeah that's i, I think uh, an indication that the federal standing laws are too restrictive you can get to a situation where um The government is performing things that it's clearly not authorized to perform, and because you can't distinguish anybody who's uniquely harmed, nobody can bring suit to stop this. So the federal standing laws are in long need of of overhaul, Uh, but the court doesn't seem inclined to be moving in that direction.
1: So interesting. And Bob, one other question right now. It appears that uh, Biden's back at it again. I mean, he's, uh, I think they're starting to implement this new revised plan that he has to forgive uh, loans. Uh, any comments on that or thoughts?
3: Yeah, the, the current issue was that the, the loans can't be canceled by executive order. Now, most likely, even loan modifications uh, would require action by the Department of Education, including a formal rulemaking proceeding, and Biden says he's going to try that and he is trying that mm-hmm. uh, using the Higher Education Act. Of course, that's that, for that to really um, roll out, it's going to take time, and ultimately in court it might meet uh, the same fate. So while he's doing that, the repayments on these other loans are going to be resuming on August 31st. If he really wanted a fix, he'd go to Congress. But, of course, that's not going to happen. And, in fact, back in June, both houses, with support from moderate Democrats, voted to block the program. And the only reason that didn't become law was that uh, Biden uh, vetoed uh, the bill. So he is trying to circumvent this rule, but I suspect he will be stopped by the courts uh, once again.
1: Well, you know, but again, it comes out as kind of a promise, which, again, buys the votes. And even if he fails, he's going to win the uh, the political argument.
3: Yeah, that's the problem. And that's an indication that, uh, that we've gotten these administrative regulations and executive power all out of whack. It's Congress that's supposed to be making laws in this country. Yeah. And that's not what's happening. The executive branch is exercising too much power, and in particular these cabinet departments and administrative agencies, which are in the lawmaking business. They're supposed to be in the law enforcing business.
1: Yeah. So well said. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I hope you visit the very rigorous uh, website, uh, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you.
1: Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Gulf Shore Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region. Gulf Shore Playhouse is building a 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodland Frank Road. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, the -the state-of-the-art performing arts center and about this season's exciting productions... Visit GulfshorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfshorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Right, of course, uh, Lullaby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center serves terrific breakfasts and lunches. But also now, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., terrific dinners. And that dinner menu is just absolutely great. It's great value, informal. and You can stop by without a reservation and enjoy. Luluby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Good morning, Bob.
1: Good morning, Andy. So usually we start our conversations with good news. Do you have any good news for us today? I've got a
2: few good news stories. I guess the first one is we're in, we don't live in Maui, uh, in in the Hawaiian Islands, and yeah. I don't want to be facetious or, or lighthearted about that because it's an extremely serious situation. But uh, I think we all have to understand the uh, what um, many Americans go through that we in Florida, South Florida, Southwest Florida do not go through, so... Uh, to me, that's that's a good news for us. Certainly not a good news for those, for those beleaguered people. people. Uh, I'm going to start today with a quotation, Bob, that I think is a very appropriate one for uh, America 2023. <coughs> Abe Lincoln uh, said, "America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedom, it will be because we destroyed ourselves." And I could not find anything. And that's a fairly well-known quotation. Uh, but I think it's worth uh, repeating right now because I, I think it most rings true about what we're seeing now. This is uh, We're not being destroyed by Russia or by China or by outside forces or anything that is uh, not within the direct control of Americans themselves. Right. We are being destroyed by our, our internal forces, Bob.
1: Such an important point. Such an important point. It reminds me of the quote by uh, uh, Mark Twain, uh, always... Uh, support your nation and your government when it deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, right now we have gone down such a bad road right now. We've somehow, we. well, in fact, you wrote a column uh, it's about uh, keeping America. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it during the show because I posted it uh, yesterday. It is absolutely terrific. It's on my website, by the way. If you want to see it, you can go to uh, bobharden.com and just pull down the, the pull-down tab of Correct me if I'm wrong, it's the latest uh, column being pu- published by Andy Joppa.
2: yeah, as long as long as you mention that, I was going to bring that up later, but I think it's an important uh, <clears throat> essay not not because uh, because I wrote it obviously, but because of the the content uh, in my basic content in that, and uh, as you read it, Bob, you could see i I have no hope that the at the federal level, America can be saved. I think I can document that in terms of uh, the bureaucracies, the, the depth of the problem within our institutions, in the media, educational institutions that are, that are influenced by the federal government. I think the answer will not come from those areas, and it will not come from the traditional sources, such as uh, elections, for example. I, don't, I think they're of, of minimal impact at this point, for, big, primarily because of their ability to be manipulated, either illegally or even legally through, uh, through uh, high-tech. Uh, but again, I point out uh, in that essay the, that the states still are the strongest, uh, the strongest home of the American value system. Uh, at this point, uh, the Republicans control a majority, a significant majority of the, of the state legislature houses, and I think that's an important consideration. Mm-hmm. Also, if we look at the gross population in the states that are totally controlled uh, by the Republicans as compared... Excuse me, by those by the Democrats, we can see there's a significant uh, percentage of the American people that are really within a Republican political environment. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing it, Bob. Uh, so that that was the intent of that uh, uh, of that blog. Uh, that that is our keep, as I describe it, the castle keep being the the last refuge of a of a of a castle. In this case, I, I set up the uh, the states as our keep, the last refuge for America. And I honestly do believe that, that if there is an answer, and I'm not convinced there is one, the answer can only be found at the state
1: level, Bob. See, I don't have the column here in front of me, but you, you uh, report that the states have a power, the Ninth and 10th Amendment, to, uh, to block illegal moves on the part of the federal government. And that, that emerges as such an important concept.
2: Well, I think the, the, both the Ninth and the Tenth Amendments prime that possibility. Now, that possibility has to be turned into a reality, and what the states also can do, then, is extend the implication of the eight, uh, Ninth and Tenth Amendments into uh, nullification. Yeah. So, again, I think that's the, uh, the, the progression, to recognize the constitutional allowance for it, and that was the purpose of those constitutional amendments, and then the states uh, can act Uh, in that manner, to nullify what they regard and can document as being illegal federal actions, Bob.
1: Absolutely, Andy. So do you have some more good news for us?
2: Uh, a couple of minor good news stories, but I'm always searching for things that look like a, a trend, I would call them. Yeah. Uh, a group called the Native American Guardians Association uh, has petitioned the uh, the owners of the uh, the Washington Commanders, the football team, to change their name back to the Redskins. Yeah. Uh, this group, a large group, 90,000 or 100,000 signatures on their proposition, say that the, the name Redskin was never... A negative uh, term, as as they accepted it, uh, it was a term of of pride and and significance. So they're petitioning the Washington football owners to move the name back to the Redskins. So again, not not a major story, obviously, but one that I think indicates perhaps what I'd like to see is a growing internal pressure uh, to challenge some of these woke decisions. Uh, another good news story. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me just excuse myself for a second. Surely, well,
1: I'll, I'll comment while, while you're really? clearing, clearing, your, throat, clearing your, your throat here that uh, I'll, I'll comment that I, I grew up as a fan of the Washington Redskins. And, you know, still, to me, it's always been the Washington Redskins. It's never changed the Guardians, anyhow. But irrespective, I think the irony of, of the uh, American Indians. Uh, a foundation that's that's a petitioning the ball club. We are not only want you to do it, but we're going to hurt you if you don't change it back to the red, Redskins by uh, by uh, you know uh, bad publicity and uh, not showing up for games and all kinds of things. So th- this is this is just so refreshing and so ironic. You
2: know, it's it's strange how this thing gets extended into uh, <clears throat> every area. <clears throat> the baseball team, the Cincinnati Reds, they're, they're being challenged right now to change their name, really? as if the word Reds uh, in the name uh, involved indigenous Americans. It had nothing to do with indigenous Americans, and yet that's the, uh, the, the extreme application of, of woke ideology. Uh, last night I watched the uh, New York Yankee game, unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> the, the Atlanta Braves, uh, to their credit, have maintained the name Braves. I, I think when you're choosing a mascot for your team, you do not choose something that is humiliating to your team. You choose something that is courageous and heroic and, uh, and sounds, uh, sounds good for your team to, to carry that name forward. Uh, So, you know, there's there's so many of these things that in the American culture right now, that are absurd and becoming more so. But I'm glad to see when these type of things, these pushbacks take place. One other form of minor pushback, there's a rapper, Bob, named YG. I'm not sure if you pronounce it YG, maybe you pronounce it Yig, I'm not really sure. Uh, But the rapper had a previous song really excoriating Donald Trump, I mean, in the the most... uh, uh, Horrible language in terms of what that rap song contained. He has now changed his mind entirely. He says he will vote for Donald Trump in 2024. And he says much of the African-American community is moving in that direction, if true. I think that's a significant story. I don't think we're ever going to see a majority of that community uh, move to the Republican side of the ledger. But I think if there's any movement, and he suggests it's significant, uh, I think that's a good news story,
1: Bob. That certainly is, Andy. Appropriate time to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America.
0: Bob Harden show, and now here's your host, Bob
1: Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in state legislatures. And I hope you can find out more at their website, thefga.org. The FGA. Dot org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Good to be here, Bob.
1: Thank you, Andy. Any more good news?
2: Uh, nothing Nothing specific. Let's, let's get into some of these major stories. For example, Bob, the uh, interview uh, by Carlson uh, with uh, Stephen Sund.
1: Let's do that. In fact, I'd just like to promote uh, Tucker Carlson's interviews on uh, Twitter, or X it's now called, but he's not, not only Steven Sund, but he had an uh, interview with RFK and so many other really profound interviews. He's a great source of information and commentary, So uh, let's, but let's talk about the one about Chief Sund.
2: I'm going to mention the uh, the RFK interview also once I get uh, through this. Uh, I think the interview with Stephen Sund, and I've uh, subsequently read his book. I'm about halfway through actually right now. Uh, his book, "Courage Under Fire," I really uh, recommend it as good objective reading as to what actually happened on January sixth. Mm. Uh, there were there were many significant points that uh, that were brought out in the in this interview. Uh, I think. Uh, the most uh, significant was the fact that uh, Steven Sund indicated that normally as the chief of Capitol Police, he was bombarded with constant information updates every single day. He would get uh, dozens, I would suggest, uh, as he alluded to, a dozen of updates, intelligence updates from the FBI and Department of Homeland Security. He said prior to January 6th, uh, January 5th, January 4th, all those days leading up to that moment, uh, he received nothing from the uh, Department of Homeland Security or the FBI. He found this just incredible, considering uh, as the events unfolded and as he became subsequently aware of the amount of information uh, that was available, uh, at that time. Uh, so he did not directly state this, but I think certainly it can be inferred that this wasn't just an intelligence failure, Bob. This was a willful uh, process of withholding information from the, uh, the chief of the Capitol Police, who would be the main responding um, police official in terms of any action near the Capitol or in the Capitol, uh, to, in fact, allow this event to go forward and, and have it be more negative than, uh, than, it was, uh, than it was really designed to be, I would suggest. Oh, well. uh, so I think that was an important point. Uh, he also, Stevenson, pointed out that the riots that took place in 2020 around the White House uh, injured far more policemen than did the riots on January 6th, and yet there was not one conviction that came out of those riots uh, in 2020, uh, and again, uh, Stevenson, being very objective and making every attempt to be apolitical, did not draw any inferences from that. But obviously, we can suggest that the January 6th event was handled far more dramatically, uh, legally, as we might position it, uh, than were the events uh, of the riots around the White House. So I think those uh, those are extremely important considerations. He also mentioned something that I think most people are not aware of. With the congressional hearings on January 6th, uh, the only people that were called were active members of the federal bureaucracy. So Stephen Sund, having retired, and the uh, chief, the uh, sergeant of arms of the House of Representatives, sergeant of arms of the Senate also, were no longer in, in their, their positions. So effectively, these three people, Sund, sergeant of arms House, and Senate, were not called uh, for Uh, What's the reason it's impossible to determine that other than to suggest that there was information that these three gentlemen would have brought to the table that would have totally uh, negated the entire uh, uh, Democrat narrative, Bob? So, yeah, I think Sun's uh, commentary... Uh, can be weighed in terms of its objectivity. It can be weighed in terms of its apolitical nature. And I think what we can see and extract from Sun's interview with Carlson was that this was, uh, and I'm going to say this as my inference, a, a manufactured event uh, that was allowed to occur and, and stimulated its particulars uh, to become more dramatic than it was ever intended to be.
1: Well, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've seen the Sun interview but uh, by Tucker Carlson. But as I recall, the inference was pretty strong that it was, the fix was in. I mean, that uh, all this happened, and it was orchestrated in a way to make it look like an insurrection, when in fact it was orchestrated. He pointed out there were, I think there's 12 FBI agents or... or uh, there to 20 Homeland Security people. In other words, it was rife with uh, operatives in the uh, in the agencies that were in there to actually help and support the efforts uh, to, to make it look like an insurrection.
2: As I remember that interview, um, son. Sund- I don't remember him giving specifics that you just alluded to. I know he did in regards to what you just said. Uh, I know he said in events of this sort, there are typically going to be uh, federal agents in a large crowd in a circumstance where there might be a riot to serve as information sources. He did suggest that the numbers that he saw there that day seemed to be far larger than were normal for a circumstance
1: of that type of... Uh, I think that sums it up pretty well, Andy. But the point being is that the fact that uh, Nancy Pelosi didn't want uh, the National Guard to come in, uh, that, uh, you know, all this information, the fact that he, he uh, there was not an exchange of information about what was going on before the event, I mean, it all points to the fact that it was orchestrated and put together in order to try and frame the whole notion of an insurrection.
2: I think there was no doubt about it. There was, uh, you know, actually... Uh, some uh, very militant groups that were uh, uh, on the outskirts of Washington that were planning violence, um, whether or not that was instigated by federal agents or not, I, you know, we can't confirm that either way. Uh, but on the other hand, when you have that potential, and you, they expected a crowd of anywhere from 500,000 to a million people, Donald Trump requests uh, federal troops, Sund requests, requests troops because he can see what's happening. Uh, he can see the, uh, the impact on his uh, Capitol police officers. He requests assistance. He gets none. The first assistance that shows up in Washington, D.C., although there are federal troops in Washington, D.C., uh, uh, reserve troops, at that point in time, the only people that show up are police officers from New Jersey, Bob. Yeah. So here we have this, I would suggest, an instigation of the event, uh, a total failure to supply Sun with information that might have prevented the the extreme versions of it. And then when he calls for help, he is ignored uh, completely by all those in power who could have who could have been of assistance, Bob.
1: Uh, you know, Andy, good time to uh, take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: back to the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences, and you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always good to be here, Bob.
1: Andy, you know, uh, uh, he, uh, the most recent interview coming out of Tucker Carlson's uh, interview of uh, RFK Jr., boy, did I find that to be explosive. What are your thoughts?
0: Well,
2: again, I think RFK Jr. has become one of the most important um, uh people in this country as it pertains to the the other side of important issues and i i don't not saying that these are, are radical in any way i'm just saying that he he tends to present very very uh, full documentation of very important positions for example he he talked on tucker carlson about the uh the impact of victoria newland in uh, in ukraine in 2014 to overthrow uh, the democratically elected president of Ukraine at that point in time, who was pro Russian. Uh, there were many attempts uh, post that uh, where U- Ukraine had wanted to pursue. Uh, the, um, the Minsk Accords, and that was stopped, prevented by the United States and by the United States sending in Boris Johnson to prevent it. The Minsk Accords would have, in fact, uh, given semi-autonomy to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the eastern provinces of Donetsk and Luhansk. Uh, but again, uh, that, that was all rejected. Uh, so here we have, and uh, I guess this can, be, can sum it up, we have the United States, through its State Department, authoring positions that provoked war. We can take that back further and lay out the the whole procedure uh, that... uh that existed from 1993 forward in terms of trying to damage Russia as an emerging new free state after the fall of the Soviet Union. And I think that uh, the case laid out by, uh, by Kennedy uh, and the actions of uh, uh, USAID and CIA uh, really attacked democracy, uh, and I think he makes that case thoroughly um, and accurately and convincingly. Bob.
1: Yeah, I, just for uh, our listeners' Uh, his, his retention of information, names, dates the, in that interview is just absolutely amazing. And uh, anybody who has an interest in uh, history, American history, and what's going on around the world, I just strongly recommend watching that interview. Uh, you know, I've, and I'll say, quite frankly, if we had to have a Democrat uh, president— he would be my choice because he's well-informed. I think he's honest, and I think I don't necessarily agree with all of his positions, but I definitely think he's a man of honor and integrity.
2: Well, I'll, I'll buy into that with that one proviso of the if statement. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah certainly uh, I can find no other Democrats that would be worthy of consideration. I don't really see him as a Democrat. He's obviously a—I uh, would position him as a political libertarian. Yeah. Uh, but, again, I admire— Uh, His courage and some of the issues he's taken on, uh, getting back to um, uh, the possibility of peace in Ukraine. In 2022, Zelensky and Putin uh, had agreed on a peace agreement, and that was stopped. That was stopped by the United States. So here we have this war that is costing the United States billions of dollars. It's estimated that 350,000 Ukrainian lives have been lost. And this is the american war. there's no doubt about it, and uh, this is not just some uh, some uh uh, small interlude in terms of world history. This is a major event that the United States has been responsible for. I would suggest if we had done anything of a comparable sort in South Vietnam uh, after our troop withdrawal in 72, if we had just helped the South Vietnamese government, that that nation, at the South at least, would not be communist today. Yeah. So I think you can look back at our government's failure to uh, support a war uh, that was South Vietnam's, and we had supported that, as compared to what we're doing uh, and having Ukrainians die for our war. As far as I'm concerned, Bob.
1: Yeah. Well, in fact, I think another important part of the interview is the discussion around neocons and, and how the the whole uh, development and support of warlike activity is so important to the United States. And of course, Joe Biden being a a, a major neocon. Uh, is kind of a, one of the things that just propels this entire thing and uh, fuels the whole idea of this war in uh, in, in Ukraine.
2: Yeah, I, I think that uh, Kennedy, <coughs> as best I remember, alluded to uh, uh, some of the mi- uh, major military contractors that are g- making enormous amounts of money yes. uh, during this, this Ukraine war, BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard, you know, just, just bringing in billions of dollars as a result of, uh, of, of military supplies. Uh, also, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, and Lockheed. So again, there's a tremendous amount of money being made in this uh, that uh, I think makes everything suspect, in my estimation, of the, of the Ukrainian debacle.
1: Yeah, i just recommend a book called uh, War is a Racket, it's a great read, and I think really captures the whole essence of this discussion. Before I let you go, Andy, I do want to get your thoughts on the Trump indictment on Friday afternoon. Oh, gosh. I- um, it's
2: it's so outrageous. It's hard to put words to it. Let uh, me see if I get my numbers straight. Um, I think there were 40 uh, indictments brought against Donald Trump in Georgia uh, for things uh, including the violation of the RICO laws. RICO laws, racketeering. Uh, It was quite amazing to hear that this uh, grand jury brought in those indictments, 40 indictments uh, against 18 defendants, and they only debated 10 hours. How in the world can this group of laypeople debate for only 10 hours some of the most complicated laws in this country and so easily bring in indictments against the president? Uh, It is being suggested, of course, uh, that—who's the DA there? Fano Willis. Uh, strong anti-Trumper historically. Uh, we can look at the judge in the in the Fulton County area. There's a very good chance that Donald Trump, if this stays in Georgia, will be incarcerated pending trial. Uh, I hate to think that, but uh, there's every reason to believe it might happen. Bob,
1: that will only fuel the energy to vote for Donald Trump. You know, we've talked about all the problems that we're facing here, and your column, the Keeping at America. Your blog is uh, so critical. Well, I think uh, Trump voters agree with you, and uh, they see this as the Trump is the last opportunity to save the country because if he's not elected, all is lost.
2: And if, I, and if we can judge by the, uh, the polling statistics, and I think they're accurate over time in multiple, multiple polls, I think we're looking at, as I think you alluded to before, that Trump is, Trump's strength is growing as a result of these uh, certainly not being being diminished. I think Americans are beginning to, to realize what's happening here. The question in my mind is, does that matter? Does it matter what Americans think, considering the entire uh, apparatus of government is totally controlled by the left,
1: Bob. Well, just to pile on on that thought, I mean, we'll talk. We'll take a look at what's happening in Michigan, I believe it is, uh, where they found uh, eight to ten thousand uh, phony uh, uh, applications for for voting, and uh, then they also found guns and all kinds of materials. And uh, who's who's intervening and not allowing an investigation? The FBI.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's quite amazing if we look at the the vast number of challenges that exist in terms of uh, voting count and irregularities that there isn't one uh, that is uh, directed towards uh, a comparable republican manipulation, in other words, even though each each of these challenges is being rejected by the left there is no comparable uh, uh, Mass of, of manipulations uh, that can be suggested as happening from the Republican Party.
1: So true. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, off topic for today's discussion, but it is a terrific read. I hope you take a look at Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
2: you, Bob, and we'll see each other
1: soon. I hope so as well. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow, including Pastor. Uh, Rick Stevens, he is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. And uh, again, health insurance, health coverage, so critical in today's, uh, one of the fastest growing expenses we have. Seaton Motley is the founder and president of Les Government, and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, always a shining light on issues on the Paradise Coast. always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, I hope you pass on the word to your friends. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers when you can't do the show without them. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are.